Are you ready for the Word this morning, church? Are you locked in? Are you ready to go? Who loves the Word of God? Come on, on this beautiful summer's sunny day, we're going to get to hear the Word of God. Just stand up. We're going to read this together. Uh, Jeremy uh, mentioned something earlier about when we pray, and I, I thought it was so applicable um, to do with this passage that we've been reading from in this series. But I want to read it again from Matthew chapter 6. And Jesus says, But when you pray, go into the room and close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, don't babble on like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father, everyone say Father. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This then is how you should pray. We're going to pray this together. This is the Lord's Prayer. You ready? After three, one, two, three. One, two, three. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Just applaud the Lord where you are, will you? That's such good prayer. Thank you, Lord. All right, you can be seated. Well, we're on a series called The Culture of the King. The Culture of the King. We just prayed it. Jesus taught us to pray this way. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done right here on earth as it is in heaven. I was so blessed by hearing testimonies of people giving thanks to God. Can I just encourage you, church, to get into the habit and cultivate um, an attitude of gratitude to cultivate, in, whether it's on your own, whether it's in the car and you're driving to work or you're sitting or you're going to bed at night or you're waking up in the morning or you're talking with your spouse, you're talking with your children, cultivate an attitude of gratitude. And I promise you this, your problem may not change, but your perspective will. Yesterday, uh, or, they, or rather this week, Jonathan and Ruth uh, Horsfall got the news, or one of them did, that their visas were granted. That's a, a wonderful thing. Um, and it was, you know, it, in many ways, it looks like, looked like all the odds were against them. But in the mail came granted. And I just encourage them, take time, just in the midst of celebrating, in the midst of emailing, in the midst of telling you know, people across the planet what's this great news, to go and find a place on your own and close the door and say, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. You know, it was the, the one that came back, the leper that came back to say thank you, that was made completely whole. That Greek word there is the Greek word sozo. We talk about sozo. We have sozo in this church, and it means saved, healed, and delivered. It's just one small little word that it packs a powerful punch. When we say thank you, when we show an attitude of gratitude, we get a sozo. Isn't that good? 
When we learn to say thank you, it was the one that came back. Jesus said, where are the others? Where are the others that got healed? But the one that came back got a sozo. It's inter- always interests me that nowhere in that does Jesus tell them they should go back or that they have to go back. It was from their own heart they came back and said, thank you. Just, wanted, just a, as a throwaway, c- cultivate that in your homes to say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you in the good times. Thank you in the bad times because he's so good and he's so wonderful. All right, we're going to jump straight in for the sake of time. We are on this series, The Culture of the King. Last week, we did five um, C's, deep C's for changing a culture. And the first one was we need character or we will end in crisis. The second one was we need to be careful, not careless. Number three, we need to have capacity or we'll collapse. Number four, we need to be ha- learn com- to be confidential Otherwise, oh, look at that. You are on it at the back there. Fantastic. Or we will lose confidence. And number five, we complete one another, not compete with one another. So that was the first one. And today we're going to do five more. So are you ready? We're going to lock in and go. The first one is conviction. Everyone say conviction. I believe with all my heart that God's people right here on earth that are bringing the heaven realities onto earth need to be a people of deep conviction. We need to know what we believe. We need to know the ground on which we stand. We need to understand the finished work of the cross. We need to understand that we are not slaves and sinners, but we are sons and daughters. We are saints. Amen? These are fundamental things, they're foundation, foundational things, but they're so important. 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're not going to turn to all of these scriptures, but 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14, Paul writes to his last and final letter to Timothy. He's writing from prison and he says these words, 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 13, 14, but you, Timothy, continue in that which you know and have become convinced of. Everyone say convinced conviction is so important a man without conviction is at the mercy of circumstance a woman without conviction is at the mercy of circumstance if circumstances cause us to change our convictions then they were never convictions in the first place and I believe that as God's people that the word of God is clear that we need to be a people of bedrock conviction what are you convinced of what are you sure of Does things cause you to change your conviction? Does circumstances cause you to change your convictions? When things happen, does it cause you to rock your faith? Kingdom realities, the culture of the king, is to be a people of conviction. I love this, and some of these things over the years, you'll remember me, remember that I've said before, but this is one of my favorite quotes. It's from a prophetic writer, A.W. Tozer. Anyone, any Tozer fans in here? Okay, this is, a, this is a Tozer quote, one of my favorites. He says this, The early church was not an organization, not a movement, but a walking incarnation of spiritual power. The church began in power and moved in power and moved just as long as she had power. But when she no longer had power, she dug in for safety and sought to conserve her gains. But her blessings were like manna that when tried to be stored up, bred worms and stank. And so we've had monasticism, scholasticism, institutionalism, and they've all been indicative of one thing, absence of spiritual power. 
In church history, every return to New Testament power has marked a new advance somewhere. And every diminution of power has seen the rise of some new mechanism of conservation and defense. If this analysis is reasonably correct, then we are today in the state of very low spiritual power. Wow. When she no longer had power, she dug in for safety and sought to conserve her gains. Church, the church, the ecclesia, is alive. It's a living organism. It's not an organization. It has organizational aspects to it, but it's actually alive. And we need to remember that, that, that we allow God to move, God to break out, God to touch us. God to heal us. God to meet us where we're at. But we can, if we're not careful, create structures that are so well built that we just become an organization. And in doing so, we ease God out. There's a good acronym for ego. We ease God out and we just have what we have made. So we need to be a people of conviction. Otherwise, we'll be a people of compromise. Everyone say compromise. You know, trust is compromised by process. So often, our trust is compromised in the middle of process. It's when we're waiting, we have a promise at the end, and we're waiting for the, pro- the fruition of the promise, but it's in the process that our trust gets compromised. It's that tr- without conviction, we're at the mercy of circumstance. Without conviction, we so often can end up compromising because we, we lose sight of our convictions in the middle of the process. And I want to just remind us this morning in these, deep, these five deep seas that we must be a people of deep conviction. You know, Sarah, I don't want to embarrass you, but, you know, pastoring this church for... For as, since it's the beginning and seeing uh, people like Sarah and trusting God for a husband, trusting God for the desire that God had put in her heart and seeing her not lose her convictions and not compromise, but wait and wait and wait for God to bring her an amazing man. Is that true? That's true. That's very true. Say amen, Joshua. Yes, you're a son, not... You know, I, I, you know, but it's, you, 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 we, when you watch people, you see, my mother used to say this, God always gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him. See, it's a choice. Today I bring heaven and earth before you choose life or choose death. And then he says, choose life. It's like multiple choice. It's your choice. Have you ever done an exam and someone's like, it's this one. That's what God does with us. It's your choice. Choose this one. It's your choice. Just wait. It's your choice. Hold on to your convictions. It may take a while. It may take longer than you think. You may go through disappointment. Your faith must be maybe tested, but wait. And those who don't wait, it's and just it's so it's sad. You think, God, there was the best. God always gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him. All right, number two, you ready? I'm going to keep moving fast. Number two, we need to confront but not condemn. Say that with me. Confront 
but not condemn. Part of living in this culture, the culture of the king, a kingdom culture, and creating a kingdom culture is that we learn how to confront. Everyone say confront. Stay with me. You know, I think some people don't like to confront. Oh, no, I don't like to confront. I don't like confrontation. But we need to learn it because the Bible talks a lot about that. The, in 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul, this whole chapter on love, he says, speaking the truth in love, we will then build one another up. We'll be built up in the faith. Built up, build one another up, speaking the truth in love. I'm not talking about just loving, speaking the truth. I'm talking about speaking the truth in love. That, when we, that we can confront somebody and love them and not leave them in condemnation. To confront but not condemn. Everyone say condemn. condemn. Don't condemn. Here's some keys. You know, the word con... I used to um, restore character buildings in England and I would buy buildings. One I bought was 500 years old. In fact, it was over 500 years old. It was a thatched cottage and it was literally just made of oak. It was a frame oak and it originally had horsehair in the floors and it had the actual, the old uh, thresholds. You know, it's called a threshold because the threshold would hold the thresh in. So originally it would have been threshing on the floor. There's a thresh floor, straw floor, and the threshold would hold those, the thresh in. Hence it was called a threshold. And you were rich if you had thresh, otherwise you'd just have a mud dirt, dirt floor. That's where, came, where, where dirt poor came from. Just, yeah. Silly fact. Okay. But I would buy buildings that were condemned, which means that you could not go into them. And I would buy them because they were the cheapest ones. Nobody wanted to mess with them because they had structural problems and they were just so old. But, you know, in Romans chapter 8, it says, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because of the finished work of the cross, we do not have to live in condemnation. There is no condemnation. Everyone say, no condemnation. So when we confront, what we do not do is leave the person feeling condemned. Because God is not like that with us. Here's a little line. You can write this down. Whenever you confront someone, always leave them with their dignity intact. Always leave them with their dignity intact. I was talking to John earlier about a situation of confronting. And, and I thought the, the goal here must be to win the person, not the argument. Always, if, you, if to, to, to live in this this culture, the culture of the king, and learn to confront well, our purpose, our goal, must always to love the person. Speaking the truth in love. What is love? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is gentle. Love doesn't keep a record of when it's been wronged. Love is not rude. So when we're confronting, we do it in love. We do it gently. We do it kindly. And it's always redemptive. And the purpose must be to win the person, not win the argument. To have relationship, not just be right. Okay? You know, David was one of the greatest leaders of his time. And yet when it came to confrontation, he would turn his friends and family into, or family into enemies in order to confront them. So often we do that. When we don't know how to confront, we turn close people into enemies in order to confront them. We do it, you see it in relationships. You see it in husbands and wives. You see it with children. We withdraw our love and affection so that they feel bad, so that we, once they feel bad, then it creates a distance and then we can take a swing at them. 
It's wrong. Don't turn people into enemies in order to confront them. Speaking the truth in love. And we have to learn this. This is an art. I talked to my children till, for, till late last night talking about the power of confrontation. How do you confront your friend? You're really good at it. Dad, no, son. <laughs> Thanks. You, you're really good at it. I said, guys, you can do this. I've watched you do it. Speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. And just dialogue, dialoguing that. Matthew chapter 18, very powerful passage of Scripture. It says this. Jesus, on the whole subject of confrontation, he says, If your brother wrongs you, go to him. Just the two of you. Everyone say two. If he hears, you, hears him, I'm quoting this. You can look it up for yourself. If your brother hears you, you won your brother. There's the key, right? If he hears you, you won your brother. Yes. If he doesn't hear you, take somebody else. Take a third person. One, two, three. And let every situation be established by two or three witnesses. Okay? So if A, if number one has an issue with number two, he goes to number two and he shows him his fault. If number two says, I get it, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Thanks so much for being faithful. That's the end of it. You won your brother. But if two says, I don't get it, I don't let's believe that, you did this, and it's just getting out of hand, then go and bring a third person in. But, watch this, don't tell the third person what's going on until they get there. Because if you do, that's gossip. Right? So when three shows up, it's like, hey, three, uh, I've been chatting to number two, and they're not really hearing me, so I brought you in. And let them weigh it through together. Does that make sense? I know this is really basic stuff, but I think sometimes it's the basic things that we forget. And suddenly we get older in life and these basic principles we forgot. You know, leaders aren't exe exempt from basic Christian pr principles. And neither is age. We got to say, oh, it's just, yeah, it's, we're beyond all that now. I, can, I'm, I have a right to be, uh, to be able to gossip. No, you don't. Go do what the Bible says. And here's the, here's, the, here's the kicker, right? In Matthew chapter 5, it says, if you know your brother has something against you, leave your offering on the altar and go and be reconciled with your brother. In other words, God's saying, don't bother bringing me an offering until you have reconciled with your brother. So watch this. Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 18 are both about how to resolve conflict. And the onus is on us either way. If you know your brother's got something against you, go to him. Everyone say, go to him. If you have something against your brother, go to him. So either way, it's on us. Right? So no one can get out of it. <laughs> if your brother has something against you, go to him. If you know your brother has something against you, go to him. Whatever the issue is, we have a responsibility to go to our brother. And some of these things, and I'm going to pray at the end when we finish, just to... To some of these lies, some of these hurts, some of these pains, go back a long way into our past. And that's why we need to be careful what we say. We need to be careful what, with our actions, careful with words. You know, words have a lot of power. The words are really powerful. If you, if you could think back for a moment, you could probably think back to, to words that people said, embarrassing moments, hurts and pains that have attached themselves to your being in, in your life. I told this story before many years ago, but when I was a little boy, um, I must have been maybe 10. Um, I was somewhere between 8 and 10. 
and I was at school, and uh, the, 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 we had a substitute teacher that day, and the substitute teacher um, was, happened to be the headmaster, the principal, as you call it here. And so I, I was sitting in class, and the headmaster said, Daniel Reynolds, bring your books up to the front. And I said, which book, sir, my textbook or my written book? And he said, you stupid boy, bring them both. And then he said, what are you? To which I said, I'm a stupid boy, sir. And so I went home that night, and as my dad would do every night, he would come and pray for me, and he asked me, what I, did I like best today? And I said, well, I didn't like being called a stupid boy. He said, you didn't like being called a stupid boy? Who called you a stupid boy? And I said, the headmaster called me a stupid boy. Why did he call you a stupid boy? So I told him the story, and he said, so what did you say, son? I said, I am a stupid boy. And he said, but why did you say you're a stupid boy? You're not a stupid boy. And I said, I know, but he was the headmaster, and I felt that's what I should say. He said, I see. Well, tomorrow when you go to school, I'm going to be coming with you. <laughs> so I walked into the school with my dad, and we walked up the steps, and I went right, and he went left. I went to my classroom and didn't see my dad until about an hour later when there was a knock on the door and the headmaster came into the classroom and he knocked on the door and the teacher said, come on in. And he addressed the class and he said, yesterday I was here and I took this class and I said to Daniel Reynolds, he is a stupid boy, but I would like to say he is not a stupid boy and I would like to publicly apologize for calling him so. Of course, I went bright red. I'm eight years old. Like, what do you do with that, you know? <laughs> but later, my dad told me this. <laughs> he said, son, he talked about the power of words. And he said, son, I live by this principle, which I also do. Let the circle of confession be as wide as the circle of offense. And he said, you, that, what that gentleman did, my dad's a very gracious man. He would have been very gracious with the headmaster. But he did require him on that principle you said it publicly, therefore you need to put it right publicly. If you'd, said it, if you'd said it privately, you would have put it right privately. But sir, you will put this right publicly because you said it publicly. But you know what it did to me is that I understood the power of words. And we, need to, we can all learn that. Not only of what we receive, be careful, above, all your, above all else, Proverbs says, guard your heart because it is the wellspring of life. It is from which the issues of life flow. It's a wellspring. Don't allow anyone to pollute your well. If you put bitterness into, into your heart, it will come out of your mouth. Be careful what you allow. Guard it. Say, no, 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 no. I'm not allowing that. I'm not, you know, if we, they says they, they took offense at Jesus. When we take offense, we make offense. Literally, Offense. And suddenly we have a fence and we don't know where this fence has come from. The fence is there because we've taken a fence. Church, don't take offense. You can tell the greatness of a man by what it takes to offend him. Can I just say this as well? In, in this culture, it's important that we, we, have relate, we, grow, um, we grow in trust. You know, you can't drive a two-ton tank over a one-ton bridge in relation, relating to one another, that we learn the principles of building trust. You know, that don't just go and confront somebody um, because I'm telling you the truth in love, brother, sister, 
if there's not that relationship. Build the relationship first. Ask the question, can I, can I just bring something to you? I trust you would do the same to me. This helps create a good, healthy kingdom culture and not leaving each other condemned. Everyone say condemned. All right, I'm going to move on. Um, number eight. Oh, is that number eight? No. Oh, number three. Number three. Um, communication. Otherwise, there'll be no connection. In a kingdom culture, we must learn to be good at communication. Everyone say communication. To communicate well. And we live in an hour, we live in an age where it is easy to get better at communicating. Um, love, as we just quoted in 1 Corinthians 13, um, Paul says, love is not rude. You know, social graces are really important. Love is not rude, therefore don't be rude. To learn to communicate well and share your heart with somebody else in a loving, kind, generous way is what God is like. Because God isn't just loving, God himself is love. He is love. So when we communicate, communicate well. And if we don't, we'll find that we'll lose connection. You know, again, last night, talking with my, with my boys about social graces and not being socially awkward, learning how to look people in the eye, learning how to shake their hand, learning how to have a conversation, how, learning how to break through so that we're just not odd. You know, I, don't, I believe God's people should not be, should be the most strategic, sharpest, confident in who we are people on the planet. And sometimes, I, I, you know, we don't know what we don't know, but sometimes I, I, you, you, look, you, you talk to people, you're like, w- did you miss some steps at kindergarten? You know, did you miss? <laughs> this is just normal. Learn to communicate. Learn to socialize. Learn to be normal. Okay, going to move on from that one. <laughs> you know, you can be a great communicator and not be a great leader, but you cannot be a great leader and not be a great communicator. I'll say that again. You can be a great communicator and not be a great leader, but you cannot be a great leader and not be a great communicator. Communication is really important. And if we don't have good communication, then we will lose connection. You know, Paul, the Apostle Paul says this, I have become all things to all men so that I may win some. So he says, to the Jew, I became a Jew. To the weak, I became weak. I've, that, that passage just fascinates me. But here I believe it, it, it. I'll just use it in my own language. The world you can't enter is the world you can't reach. Therefore, the world you can enter is the world you can reach. How many r- worlds can you reach? How many different types of people can you reach? Well, I just don't like that kind of person. Fine, then you, won't, you can't reach them. And what, if, we, if we don't learn just to have different spheres of influence, then we just become locked up. But remember this, my life is not my own. My life, Paul says, is Christ and Him crucified. The very reason we're here on planet Earth is to be ambassadors, as if God was making His appeal through us. We are the salt and the light of the earth. I believe that we have something to say in every sphere of life. And we need to be confident. We need to be clear. Not be odd and strange. Okay. Okay. Everybody doing okay? Did I lose you? Okay. Uh, Did I lose connection with you? (laughs) That's very rude. 
So ask yourself this morning, what causes me to, to, to not connect? What causes disconnection in my relationships? What causes disconnection in my marriage with my children, with my friends, with my boss? Get better at that. I believe you can get better at it. Honesty is, the willingness, is a willingness not to lie to others. Maturity is a willingness not to lie to yourself. Taking assessment and assessing where we are really at is very important. It's sobering, but it takes humility. But it's once, if we'll humble ourselves and really take inventory and assess where we're really at and what we need to work on, we will actually come to maturity. This week, I, I, uh, uh, we've got some people coming over from England, and I said we'd lend them a car. And I was, looking, I was walking up behind my car the other day, and I looked, and I thought, what is those white stripes on the back of the, in the, of the wheel? And so I looked under the car, and literally the metal inside the actual rubber of the tire was actually coming out. I'm like, oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> no wonder I had so many blowouts when we were driving around. Anyway, so I took it to the, uh, to the shop, a friend of mine down the street, and he said, Dan, these tires are so bad. And I said, well, when you look at them to the side, they look fine. It looks like the tread's good. <laughs> he said, you want to see it? I said, no, no, I already saw it. I got it. And I said, well, just replace those tires. He said, no, 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 you have to replace all four tires. I said, why do I have to replace all four? And he said, because of the sensors and the speed and all this. I said, okay. So how much is that going to cost me? He said, well, we need to balance them, and then we need to do an alignment. I said, isn't that all included? What? He said, no, no, you have to have an alignment afterwards. So then he does an alignment. He says, your wheels were literally driving along like that. You were so out of alignment. And he said, your back wheel was obviously, you obviously hit something because it's actually bent. So that wheel's wobbling. So you need to have the wheel. So I'm just, I'm just thinking that this is going to cost me a fortune. I just, oh. He says, you need to have your wheels straightened. You need to have all the wheels balanced. Then you need to have them all realigned. And you need four new tires. I'm like, great. So that all got done. And you know, sometimes when we take assessments, we need to assess where things in our life need to come into alignment. We ourselves need to find that which is bent and get it straight. That which is out of balance, get them balanced. So that we can get to our destiny. Otherwise, we will find, and I said, well, what happens if I don't do it? He said, damn. I said, okay. <laughs> you have to do this. I think, can I get a few more thousand miles out of it? No, you probably won't even get home, he said. But sometimes things wear out in our life prematurely because we're out of alignment. Sometimes things in our lives wear out and we think, I'm sick, I'm just facing the same issue again. Maybe we need to take assessment. Maybe we need to realign things. Maybe we need to get some balance in, in, our, in areas of our life. Maybe we need to get some things that are bent out of shape and actually have them straightened. And will it cost? Yes, it will. Yes, it will. Yes, it will. But we don't actually have any choice. So church, if we don't have good communication, we will lose connection. Number four, we need to be courageous. Everyone say courageous. courageous. Because being courageous is actually contagious. Being courageous is contagious. I think I did a message a few years ago called Outrageous Contagious Faith outrageous, 
contagious faith. God wants a people that are full of courage. You know, when you, every time you encourage someone, you are imparting courage. God wants us to be courageous. The Bible says be strong and courageous. Be strong to Joshua and very courageous. Be very strong and very courageous. Church, we need to be courageous. Courageous in what we believe. Courageous in what we think. Courageous in how we act. Courageous in how we raise our children. Every area of life that we do it full of courage. Knowing that God is with us. That's why we're here. Do you ever stop and consider your life and think, life is going by really fast. You know, we were in town the other day and somebody said, oh, I remember those boys when they were just tiny, when they had their red curly hair walking through town. Look at them now. I said, yeah, they're driving. No way, they said. Their twins are driving? Crazy. Time goes by fast. Really fast. This is why we're here, folks. To change the planet. Not just to come along and get along. Our vision statement is to build a radical, relevant church that empowers people to express God's heart, fulfill the dreams, and change the world. And change the world. We've got to change the world. But you know what? You can think, well, that's impossible. I've, I, can't, I don't even have time to, to even leave St. Charles or, or Geneva or Batavia or Elgin or wherever you live. But you know what? You can change your world. You can change your world in your family. Start with you. Start with your own family. You know, the light that shines the brightest shines the brightest at home. All right, courageous. Proverbs 28 verse 1 says, The righteous are as bold as a lion. The righteous are as bold as a lion. I love that. Everyone say lion. lion. You know, the, the Bible says that he is the lion. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. The devil prowls around like a lion. He's not a lion. He's a toothless clawless lion he's like a lion but the righteous are as bold as a lion we are as a lion we're as he is the righteous are as bold as a lion be bold you know people listen to people who are bold if you listen to pop stars and you listen to um they have for the most part nothing to say but people listen to them because they're bold if you're outspoken about something, even if you're completely wrong, people will listen to it, listen to you. That's why we have politicians. I'm going to just back up. Hang on. Okay. Tell me you can erase that. You know, in Daniel chapter 11, verse 32, it says this, Those that know their God will be strong and do great exploits. Boom. What an amazing scripture. Daniel chapter 11, verse 32. Those that know their God will be strong. Everyone say strong and do great exploits. Those that know their God. Look it up in the, in, I think it's the uh, New King James. Those that know their God will be strong and do great exploits. To do great exploits. But we have to know God. And then we'll be strong and do amazing things for Him. You know, suddenly when I think we get to a point where it's like, God, i just so in love with you and running this race. I don't know when I'm going to finish. I don't know where I'm going to cross over the line. Whenever it will be, God, I want to do so strong. I want to finish strong. Keep calm and finish strong. Finish strong. Finish strong. Finish well. So many people in the Bible didn't finish, period. 
But church, we can finish individually, corporately, and finish well, finish strong. The Apostle Paul says, I've been faithful to the faith. I've been faithful to the fight. And I've been faithful to the finish. He finished. Jesus said, it is finished. Jesus finished the very thing which he came to do. We need to finish and finish well. Amen. Can I just say this as well? Be bold in worship. When we're worshiping God, it's co- when we are courageous in worship, we are contagious in worship. When you're praying out, just pray with confidence. Pray with boldness. Be, cura- be full of courage. Ask God for big things. I remember a, a man in a, in, a mo- in, a, in a meeting was asked the question by this gentleman. He didn't know who he was. And he said, what are you dreaming for? And he said, well, I'm just in church life. What are you dreaming for? He said, I'm, I'm just, uh, we'd really like to, um, you know, paint the kids' room, the children's room. And, and so we're going to just, we're just trusting God for that. He said, well, what will that cost? He said, about 250 bucks. And this gentleman turned to somebody else. He said, what about you? What are you dreaming for? He said, I'm building, dreaming about a megaplex for what God's going to do. The gentleman said, well, how much does that cost? He said, about four million. He said, okay. And the gentleman left and he wrote two checks, one for $250 and one for four million. <laughs> the first guy was like, wait, wait a second. <laughs> I didn't know you had any money. (laughs) And the gentleman replied to this. He said, big money needs a big vision. Just like big vision needs big money. Church, we have a big God. We have a big God. And we need to believe big. Believe big. Believe for great things for this house. You know, I just want to say this. The best days of this house are ahead. If I didn't believe it, I would not be standing here. But I'm standing here because I believe it with all of my heart. And I have a conviction, a deep conviction that the best days are ahead. That God is going to do something so spectacular in this house, in this area. God's doing something with other churches. God's doing something with hearts. God's doing something with revival, with healing. Something's happening. It's like the the smell of rain. And it may be a cloud as small as a man's hand. But if we see the cloud and we can hear the rain that's coming and say, I'm going to believe God for big things. The gentleman said, big money needs big dreams. If you dream small, here you go. I'm not going to put my money into small things. I have a lot of money, and I want to put it into something that's going to have a lot of impact. And to have a lot of impact means you need to have a people that pack a powerful punch and have a big, big vision. Amen? Amen? All right. I'm nearly done. I'm going to wrap up. It's contagious. Everyone say contagious. It's contagious. You know... Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 through 25, 
The writer of Hebrews says, let us consider how we may spur one another on, how we may provoke one another. And, you know, being contagious. It's hard to sit next to somebody who's just going for it in worship, and you're like, Kumbaya, Lord. Why are they getting so excited? It's contagious. When someone's praying and just really going for it, it's, it's hard. You know, you know, go and sit next to Amy and Taylor in worship, and you're just going to be inspired. It's like, oh my gosh, something could happen right now. God's in the room. He's right here. And we've got to come with that sense of expectation because God's always up for it. You know, God is always ready to move. He's not impressed by our long prayers or our clever prayers. He's not impressed by how we know the Bible. He wrote the book. He's not impressed by our gifts. He gave them to us for free. That's why they're called gifts. He's looking for a people that are full of courage. that say, God, I just want my life to count. God, I just give it all to you. God, I'm going to give you everything I've got in worship. That's why starting with thanksgiving is so important. That we just start with thank you. You know, every day start with thank you. Every, every, finish every day with thank you. And suddenly that, your, your lack becomes a place of abundance. Suddenly it's like, God, thank you. Thank you. You're so good to me. You've been so kind to me. You know, like many of you, you look, at, you look at the tough times. You go through bad times, times of disappointment, things that you just don't understand. You know, there are people in this room that you've gone through things you just don't understand. The answer is still not there. You talk about losing hope in the process. But you know, it takes maturity in it all to say, I do not understand. I don't get it. I don't have an answer. But I do know this. I'm going to stand on my conviction that God is good and he's faithful and all his promises are yes and amen. And I'm not going to charge God with wrongdoing and I'm not going to be intellectually offended at God. I don't understand it, but I'm not going to allow my faith to be hinged on whether I'm doing all right or I'm not doing all right, whether God's come through in the time that I thought he would come through. You know, people say God's never late. He's always on time. In my experience, <laughs> like, Lord, I'm not so sure I can pray that. But, God, I trust you. You are God. Me, not God. You, God. Don't get mad at God, being God on, on talking terms. Well, don't do that. That's just not a smart thing to pray. I think I said this last week, but Mike Bickle used to say, God will always be your friend, but he'll never be your buddy. He's God, and we need to remember that. He's the almighty God, but he's also a loving father who can relate to us, who actually feels what we feel. But church, faith, 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 faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. It says, I'm going to look at not on what I see, but what is unseen. Gosh, do I have one more point? And finally, brothers and sisters, number five, that we need to change. Because where there's no change, there'll be a challenge. Where there's change always equals challenge. If you change, there's a challenge. If you don't change, there's a challenge. Amen? <laughs> if change always equals challenge. If you don't change, there's a challenge. But if you change, there's a challenge. But life is full of change. We live in a world that is constantly changing. You know, the, the world... The world that we live in has, has evolved more in the last three to five years than it has in the history of time. I'll say that again. 
The world we live in has advanced faster in the last three to five years than it has in the history of time. They say now if you buy a computer or electro some kind of electronics, by the time you've bought it in the store and got it home, it's already outdated. That now that we live in, in a, with the technology is moving so fast. It's mind-blowing fast. We live in an hour and an age where, of choice. The millennials just love choice. You know, there are 87,000 different ways that you can have a Starbucks coffee. 87,000 different ways. If you put together all the different types of pumps of this and vanilla or this and this size or that size, with or without, 87,000. That's a lot of choice. But we live in a time, we live in an hour where things are changing and they're changing really, really fast. We need to understand change because where there's no change, there's a challenge. But where there's change, there's a challenge. Church, God is not afraid of the 21st century. God is not sitting on his throne worried about what will they do next? What will they come up with next? He's the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He sees the end from the beginning and works backwards. It's okay. What we need to do is allow the process of change to be constant. And I'll just, I'll just say this, and I'm going to close with this. Where Jesus talks about wineskins, he says, no one puts new wine, which is the revelation of Jesus, which is of the revelation of God himself, that's the wine. No one puts that into an old wineskin. If he does, both the wine and the wineskin will be ruined. Interesting that God, that Jesus here in this passage is putting a value on the old wineskin. If he does, both the wine and the wineskin will be ruined. God doesn't want the old to be ruined. No, he wants us to make, to make way and change for the new to hold the new. Okay, so watch this. Where does a wineskin come from? In that culture, a wineskin would come from an animal. So an animal would have to die to get the wineskin to hold on to the new wine. In that culture, that culture was, they were used to making wine. Wine needed to be subject, it was always subject to movement. It needed to aerate. It needed to be flexible and it needed a vessel that was flexible. And a new wine skin, a new skin was pink and it was flexible. It was supple. It was pliable. So Jesus is saying, for, to contain what I'm doing, you always need to be flexible. You always need to be pliable. You need to be subject to change and upheaval. Now, watch this. As we know, then that wineskin, after a while, is also going to become dry. Move it to there. Remember, that has value. If you don't, no, if you don't put new wine into a, you put new wine into a new wineskin. If you don't, both the wine and the wineskin will be ruined. So, if you can imagine, by the end, we just got all these wineskins full of old wine. If you know anything about wine, it gets more valuable with age. So, you've got all these wine vessels full of good wine, which is aging, but God is always wanting to put new wine in. So, death is always life's process. Death. Something has to die in order for something else to live. And that's where change comes in. And most people don't like change. And what people really don't like is fast change. Because change, whether fast, slow, or non-existent, 
always brings a challenge. But church, I want to provoke us. We need to face the challenges of constant change in our lives because we are a kingdom people. This is the church of the living God. We're his hands and his feet. We're his mouthpiece in the earth. Oh, I just don't want to, I just want to do it how it was, how it was before. Do you remember we used to sing the old song and the Holy Spirit would come? We just need to do that. It's like, well, we can't just keep singing Noah's Ark's greatest hits because once many years ago, the Holy Spirit came on that song. The song, we've got to realize, yeah, but there's a new song. That's why the Bible says, sing a new song to the Lord. There's something new. There's always fresh revelation. There's always more. Paul prayed, taught us to pray in, in Ephesians chapter 1. I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know the hope to which he's called you, so that you may know him better. You know, we can know him better as we open the eyes of our heart and we see more. There's always more. There's more revelation of Jesus to come. That's why you can teach on baptism last year and this year you teach on baptism in water and you get more revelation. Why? Because the Word is alive. It's alive. It's living. It's active. Amen? Amen? Come on, let's stand together. I'm going to pray. Come on. Everyone just lift your hands. I'm going to pray really quick. Boom. Courageously put your hands in the air. Like you just don't know you do care. <laughs> so here we go. We've got conviction or compromise. We need to confront or we'll not condemn. We need good communica communication or there'll be no connection. We need to be courageous because it's contagious. And we must change even though it's a challenge. Father, right now in the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that as you taught us to pray, let your kingdom come right here on earth yes. as it is in heaven. And I just pray for everybody in this room, Lord, particularly for where there's alignment, where things are just getting worn out prematurely, where, where things are pulling, are pulling us to the side because of bumps in the road, because we've hit something or something's hit us or knocked us and thrown our alignment out. God, I ask, that even if it's expensive, even though it costs us something, whether it's a, a relational thing that we need to go and seek out forgiveness from somebody or put something right. Lord, whether it's just to, is, is, is closing the door from all the voices and choices and talking to you in private and having conversations and relationship with you where, in, where we just hide things and we just um, before you and just unlock them, God. Whatever it is, God, you know each one of our hearts and I ask that you would search our hearts in the mighty name of Jesus and I ask that you would find in us a kingdom people, yes. that you would find in us a people that are living these deep seas, yes. that in doing so, not only will this house become knitted together in spirit, but Lord, we will, have a, we will become a louder and a stronger voice to the cities and the cities in this, in, in this area. Yes. In Jesus' mighty, awesome name. And everybody said, Amen. 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 Sorry I've gone long, church.